Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Learning with Lowell show. Uh, we have new episodes every Tuesday. We cover things uh, pretty deep tech and science or really thoughtful that most people don't really get to talk about. You know, UI UX, uh, CRISPR technology, space, UFOs, you know, all these fun uh, things. And today we're joined with Damian. He is based out in LA. Uh, he's a creative director and a UX strategy. He's also the owner of a digital studio called Active Color. Uh, check out the show notes. Uh, in this episode, we talk, we get to know him, you know, kind of like what is his thought process, what drives him, how is he moving from into the healthcare space, which he's really excited about just in terms of like the raw impact of it. And he also imparts wisdom in terms of how to get into UI UX. Actually, we talk about some courses that he recommends online that I'm actually checking out right now. And I think I'm going to do like a blog post or something about that pretty soon. So, you know, stay tuned. But this is a great episode. If you always want to understand UI UX a little bit more simplistically, while also understanding like the the impact it can have in terms of saving lives and and a, and a great deal of other things, we also get into music and books and all that type of stuff. So, without further ado, we'll get into it. First question is: What is something you're proud of? It could be professional, personal. It could be something completely random that you're really proud of that you don't get the chance to talk about often. Hmm, that's a that's a hard question just right off the bat. Um, um, well, you know, career-wise, I guess um, I'm proud to be involved in a in a project that's um, that's uh, a medical project, a healthcare project with University of Chicago Medical that helps um, that helps people uh, live basically because of the the value it provides. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, just, just that feeling of being a part of something bigger that makes a positive impact on people and helps people is really gratifying for me. Mm-hmm. What, what, um, could you expand on that a little bit? What is the, what is that project? All right. So, so the project started about five years ago, we had a chance to, um, to partner up with, with a marketing firm here in LA called Four Faces Marketing. And, um, and together with them work with University of Chicago Medical on building a scheduling platform for between clinics and hospitals for colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. So the basic premise of the project is that it serves uh, under underprivileged uh, uh, communities and people who don't have access to healthcare and don't have insurance. So um, clinics would set up appointments with people um, and be able to book colonoscopy appointments with hospitals, with specialty providers who would donate their time. Mm -hmm. So they would get some free slots who would otherwise go to waste. And and with those free slots, these patients who would otherwise not have access to care would now be able to to get colonoscopies done. And because of this screening capability, uh, literally people, people's lives are saved because cancer is detected at an early stage rather than letting cancer develop and literally people dying. So, so the, the platform itself itself provides um, a much better way of doing this before the way clinics and hospitals used to do it is the clinic would call the hospital and say, Hey, do you have any free slots? Oh yeah, we might have a slot. When do you have a slot? Oh, we have it at this time. And you know, okay, well, maybe, and then they call the patient and, you know, so you have this back and forth and back and forth between the, the two organizations. And what this pl- platform does is it allows the hospitals to 
to create certain specific times that would be allowed for the clinics to book. The clinics can go in, check what's available, schedule it, and then the, the, the platform tracks the whole process back and forth. So the initial referral, the procedure itself, the results, um, everything, like the whole process is tracked through this application. So it, it streamlines the, the process, but it also eliminates any potential gaps and fallouts during the process, right? So, so it's really the, the kind of like a tool that, uh, that keeps everything together and makes everything simpler to use. So, right, it started as a research project, so to speak, to show the true value of it. And uh, it's still mainly in Illinois, but uh, there are plans to expand it nationally, so which would be great um, because cancer prevention for, for color, uh, colorectal health is, is really important. And yeah. it's, it's one of those um, cancers that, that is, like if it's detected early, great. You know, if it's detected late, you know, there's not much you can do at that point. So, yeah. And it's, it's like you're saying, it's, it's highly um, treatable when it's gotten early. Yeah. And, it's, and it's one of those that we have great tests for figuring it out. You know, it's not right. like, a, there's some tests where it's like, Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But this time it was no. <laughs> yeah, and and look, I mean, there there are fit tests, mm -hmm. um, and there's Cologuard these days, you know, mm -hmm. which which is even more uh, more accurate and, and detects um, you know cancer at a higher rate. So so there are some tests that can be done prior to getting colonoscopy done. Colonoscopy is still the kind of like the the golden test to actually yeah. do you know that's how you truly know um so that's where we started but then we built out the system even further to to expand to to be able for for the community organizations and clinics to track fit kit distributions so that's also been added over the last few years so this is where the care starts so to speak um and we are now expanding the system even further to really cover the whole spectrum of, of care from beginning from the initial touch point with the patient from community outreach and so forth to getting the test done and, um, and getting everything kind of the whole loop closed. Um, and the system is expanding actually uh, to other specialties as well. Uh, we're about to launch Hep B and it's probably gonna go into other, um, into other uh, care as well. That's awesome. The, I think when we first met, you were telling me that you were going, you made the transition from kind of, I don't, I don't, I may, I might be saying this wrong, but like generalized UI UX to more healthcare focused, more, you know, uh, impact focused. Was there, right. was there a, a tipping point that made that happen? Was this the tipping point? Like you started doing it. It's like, this yeah. is just so much different than anything else. I'm just curious, like, what was the inflection point that made you just switch? It's, and it's go really this, this project. Yeah. That's kind of why I singled it out. I mean, it, it's interesting on many levels. It's interesting on a, on a UX UI level because it's very complex. The logic of the application is very complex. So, so the flows and the permissions and the user types and the organization types and uh, uh, the whole business process that's taking place is very uh, complicated, which is, you know, kind of like a big Lego puzzle to play with. So that's, it's cool. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it, it serves a true um, purpose. It's not a, you know, a nice application that's fun to use. And if you have it or you don't have it, it's kind of okay, you know, either way. This one actually makes a difference in 
in people's lives, literally. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, it, it came to a point where, okay, do I want to keep doing these cool websites and projects that are, that are fun to do and interactive and cool? Or can I do the same and at the same time make a, make a positive change and, and give something really, truly give something back? So that's, that's where it started shifting for me. Of course, it takes some time to be able to pull that off on, a, on an agency side, on a, on a realistic side, and where we're getting there. So, um, and I, I want to keep doing that because I can tell that the extra factor is really the motivation and the mission that inspires me daily. Yeah, I imagine it, it makes it easier to jump out of bed when you know that the, yeah. the, the product of your work means that someone's life will be positively affected yeah. by it. Um, yeah. Is there, was there ever uh, any pushback? Like, was anyone saying, you know, maybe keep doing the easy thing versus making that tough transition? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, both from me, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's like sometimes you, you think, oh, this is, this is harder. This is harder to do. Um, and there's more risk involved. There's more pressure, definitely, because you need to get it right, you know, and, and on, 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 let's say, smaller or less impactful projects, the, the, the potential impact or not impact is, is less critical in, than in this case. So you feel more responsible when doing this. And, um, and then there was some internal pushback from our team because they love doing creative things. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, however, the, the, the whole concept of what creative means has been shifting. Um, we can still bring that creative mindset and, and uh, innovation and, and some, bringing something different, a different level of thinking to the medical and to healthcare industry. I really believe that's where, you know, our, let's say, competitive advantage or our strength could be um, is precisely the creative aspect. Because a lot of medical interfaces, a lot of medical apps, um, healthcare related things are not really designed very well. No. You know, especially legacy systems that hospitals work with. They're, you know, <laughs> they look like they're from the 90s or I mean, 90s is probably being polite. Like some, yeah, look yeah. like some look like they, you know, use dial-up from DARPAnet or something, or like right, you have to, right. like when every keystroke is converted into Morse code and just like pops out on the right. other side. I don't know. Like it looks pretty bad. So you know, so there's a lot of room for improvement, um, because there's something about okay, I have to use this, so I'm going to use it because I have to use it. But then there's also another level of you using an, a digital interface where it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And so you want to use it and it's helpful in that way. So it's yeah. a delight to use. Like, oh, okay. I, 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 this feels good to interact with, with this interface. And that's where we want to be. You know, that's, that's kind of where I, where I see the creativity really kicking in. And you're starting to see some great, um, greatly designed um, healthcare companies and startups and interfaces, they're, they're definitely coming up. But there's, I think, a lot of room in this industry right now for, for that to, you know, a lot of room for improvement. Mm-hmm. So I, this industry is kind of like still, you know, going very slow and it's going to take some time to, to get there. So, you know, I know uh, University of Chicago Medical appreciates 
some of these um, UX UI uh, related uh, aspects that are focusing on on the experience really being great, rather than okay, this this just work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so we're we're really trying to to make it um, enjoyable for for everybody from clinics to hospitals to to community organizations, for everybody to to enjoy using the system and therefore want to keep using it to um, you know to do their work. That makes a lot of sense because if you're, you know, when you're trying to see a doctor, if you're, you're, you know, you're trying to get screened, let's just look at uh, colonoscopies. Um, like it, if it's, if it's not intuitive, if it's not easy to do, if it doesn't feel safe, secure, you know, all the things that you need to be, it, it, how easy is that person to be like, well, it's not working. I'm going to step away from this. I'll, I'll come back to it. And then maybe they try it again, maybe they don't try it again. And that person could have something really negative happen from it. So, you know, functional is good. But like, if it doesn't, if it's not intuitive, if it doesn't work well, people right. won't use it. And ultimately that's, that's the real litmus test. Like people, yeah. are they using it? And is it easy to use? Yeah. If it is, then like many, many times more people are going to get, get help. And then when those people get used to use it, they'll tell their friends like, Hey, I just used this thing. And I, I, I got, you know, this thing and I was all, all done. And, you know, um, it was, you know, not a big deal. And uh, it's not as bad as you think you have to, you know, have to like call someone and do all these other things, right. which. Uh, coordinating is always obnoxious just as one example so i, I definitely look, see the huge huge impact of it and in our case i mean it's not so much to to end users because the patients are not using the system it's mm. the clinics or and the clinic staff and the doctors okay. and so forth so they're sort of made to use it but you know if if the system works nicely and and they're enjoying the process um, they're going to actually use the system versus going back to their old ways of pen and paper. Yeah. And, and in this case, you know, uh, with, with our system, really, it, there, there's so many, um, so many other, other valuable points to it. Like some of the rural clinics don't have EMR systems, don't have medical systems that they use because it takes a, a, you know, a license to, to be able to use it. And so they don't have enough money to pay and so forth. They, they actually don't have any digital system. They use pen and paper, Excel spreadsheets and things like that. So this system in a way could at least replace part of what they're missing already in terms of having some kind of a digital record system of, of this process that they're doing for various kinds of specialties. So it's, it, it, it has potential to do good in terms of equity of care, in terms of giving you know, something to, to um, organizations and clinics who would otherwise not be able to simply afford um, a medical system or some of these, these digitized solutions. That makes sense. Yeah. I thought it was for the gen pop, but I mean, even if it's, you know, just, and not just because if they're using it and, and they're, you know, being able to step back from pen and paper, which um, is horrible and very inefficient. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, ima- uh, I imagine it, they they're enjoying it and then you know they leave hopefully they, they give you feedback you know maybe too busy to you know write it or or whatever but um hopefully that you've gotten really great feedback from them so that, yeah yeah yeah, yeah um, it, 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 the greatest feedback was you know hearing when that somebody because of this system managed to get colonoscopy and they got you know cancer detected and they they got treatment um you know, rather than falling through the cracks 
and um, you know, eventually dying early, way too yeah. early because of cancer. So that's you know, that's like wow, this this is great. You know, this is really helping in in some meaningful way. And and you know, going back to your original question, that's why this project is so meaningful to me, and and really was a tipping point that okay, I I really want to get all in in this direction and you know the more time passes even you know we haven't spoken in two months i've i've solidified yes i want to do this even more like mm -hmm. every every week it's more it's just growing stronger this desire to be you know just doing this mm -hmm. and you know like i said we can still be creative and do great things in terms of interfaces in terms of interaction in terms of how we go about building things um by doing serious things versus, you know, fun websites or fun projects that, mm -hmm. that, you know, are on the surface more creative. Yeah. But then the substance is different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, so when it comes to uh, UX, UI, how does, how does it work? You know, just on, on, for, for people listening in, maybe they've only ever seen it you know, in a job, as they're like looking for jobs or they just, you know, hear about it in the news. Um, what is it really like, it, you know, you know, I guess like briefly and then like we'll expand into like uh, yeah. larger things. So UX is user experience, right? Yeah. And uh, UI is user interface. So user experience means how are people going to go about, going to uh, go about doing certain things? So what do they need to do and how are they going to do it? User interface means how is it going to look like on screen? So the buttons, the, the interactions, and so forth. But really, when you think about it, user experience is the, the foundation of what we want to do here. So um, at the end of the day, it starts with who are you, who are you um, serving and what their goals are. So it comes down from user research. It comes down from what the... What what the people are and what problems do they have. So um, with user experience, we will start exactly with that, you know, discovery, discovering what the problem is that we're trying to solve and for whom. And, um, you know, in an ideal scenario, you have the ability to do some true testing with people that you are building this for. Uh, we do this through surveys. We do this through direct interviews. And, um, and we find out who are, uh, our priority users are, and um, and we prioritize the application for them. So sometimes, you know, when when you do a startup, let's say you have great ideas about what you want to do, but it's really your opinion, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I think that this would be great. That's awesome. And then the next question is, do people really want this? You know, so you have to be building not for yourself, but for the people that are actually using the system. So let's say with Illinois Colon Cares, with uh, University of Chicago Medical, um, you know, you're not building for the, the patient, you're building for the clinic staff or clinic doctors. So that's who you're serving. So you need to find out from, from them what it is that they need to do, what their processes are. So for example, in this case, you would start with what are their current processes and what, what does that look like? Okay, so we go on a piece of paper, or we grab a phone, we call them. Okay, great. So, so now that you've learned what it is that they're doing now, you can start to envision 
how improving their process or doing it differently um, could could uh, benefit them. And the you know once you learn all of that, you put together um, user flows, which are basically kind of like a map of how this interaction would take place in the digital domain. Um, we then go into wireframing, uh, which is a more detail on how the screens would actually look like. And then eventually into hi-fi wireframes and design and so forth. Then comes the UI part, which is the interfacing and the interactions and the colors. And you know, of course, depending on whether you have a brand or not. So there's a lot of components in this UX, UI, business. Sometimes, you know, people say UX, UI, because it sounds kind of cool, but, you know, it's really not that new when you think about it. User experience one way or another has been around for centuries. It's just that the, the interface has changed. We didn't have digital interfaces. Okay. So you went into a store, you still have a user experience there from the point you enter to the point you buy something and you get out of the store you know, or you go to a movie theater, that's a user experience. So, so what is the problem that we're trying to solve and how will we go, go about solving it? So the, 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 in some way, the, 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 the way of thinking about it and the methodology isn't much different than it used to be. But when we are dealing with the digital domain, there's an added component of a digital interface. And, and I think, you know, what has been neglected in the past and what companies have obviously done very nicely with Apple and Google and so forth, you know, that you're actually enjoying the digital experience. You know, the, the way you interface with, with an iPhone, let's say, is so intuitive, it's incredible. So the, the user experience of it and the way they built the UI is so intuitive and so well thought of and tested and adjusted over the course of the last 10 years or so that nobody thinks about it anymore. And that's the real joy of, of the digital experience when it can be so seamless that it feels natural. It feels like a part of what you're doing. It doesn't, doesn't make a difference in it, whether you're using it or a kid is using it. It's always fun to see kids just figure it out. They don't need, you don't need to tell them anything. I have two, two kids, eight and a 12 year old. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Just whatever you know how did you do that i don't know <laughs> yeah. it just comes very natural but that means the product is built well yeah because if you give them a, a you know a dvd player you're like what <laughs> what is that what do i do with it you know so the, the product development especially in the digital domain has has really progressed and and you know when I look at how Google interfaces or Apple's interfaces are built and how well some of those um, interactions work, you know that's the creative aspect of what I would like to bring to um, you know to the healthcare uh, you know projects that we're working on. You know because they they feel so intu intuitive and good to to interact with. Makes sense. The, um, so breaking that down a little bit, when you when you do the initial discovery interviews. Is it, is it all background? Like, how do they currently do it? Or like, I'm curious, just generally, what are some of the questions or the, the approaches you get to make sure that you get the information that you need to then discover, you know, the right users and then develop from there? Yeah, uh, it, it's a variety of things. I mean, obviously the business, uh, the, you know, the stakeholders of the project will have a lot of input on mm. 
on what they think already. And so you might want to test some of those hypotheses. You know, is, is this really um, a feature or a direction that we should be following? And without imposing the question, without saying, is this what you would like to do? You know, um, you know, asking the people in, in a more general way, what, what do you think would be the best way to, to do this? So they can give you an open answer as to what really the answer is, not something you're suggesting to them. So suggesting an answer is always the, the kind of a, 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 a dark path to go in because you're going to get answers that are not accurate because obviously you're telling them the answer, you know, would you like a red car? Sure. You know, but if you ask them, what color would you like? They're probably going to give you all sorts of answers. Yeah. Um, so, so we're trying to, to, to hear from them, testing the hypothesis that we have, but also giving them an opportunity to, to share, um, you know, some, some thoughts and opinions that are, potentially uh, things that we haven't thought of because you never know what people will come up with. I mean, it's sometimes very surprising. You, you think you know what they want, but you know, until you actually hear from them, you, you can't be sure. And you might get some, some ideas that are completely, completely new. So, so we'll, we'll leave, um, you know, some room open to, to that. And, you know, in, in, in our case, we haven't always had the opportunity to do a lot of research, you know? So even, even with University of Chicago, you know, we work a lot with the stakeholders of the business, not so much with the clinics directly. So we have some limitations on how much research we can do directly with the end users. So we do our best, you know, asking questions and getting feedback from, from the people that we're working with. Makes sense. Is there, um, do you, do you iterate through like you, you, form hypothesis, test them with questions. And then when you go back through, you, you, you run through them again to see if you've, uh, you've solved them and validated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you try to do that as fast as possible. Um, I like to do it without building it. So, you know, if we can just do a quick prototype um, and test and get feedback, that's always better than spending months developing something that nobody wants. So, you know, if, if it's possible to develop a prototype and, and get feedback, that's, that, that's the best. So you're not spending any time in development. And then even if you, even if you finish a product and you do deploy it, you're going to get feedback, all sorts of feedback. So uh, digital products are never a finished thing. It's always a constant iteration and updating and changing based on what users want or need. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of products that are, you know, overdeveloped. You know, there's so many features. It's like after some time, it's too much, you know, and then maybe you can notice that certain companies started kind of scaling down, you know, like giving people just, just what they need. Yeah, you can find all these extras, but they're not there in your face, you know? And so, so it's actually easier for the people. The experience gets better rather than covering everything for everybody. And then, um, you know, you just have a mess of an interface. So I'm, I'm seeing that more in today's interfaces. It's like, okay, it's nice. You know, it's just gives me what I need. I can still get to all the preferences settings, all these additional options if I want to, 
but for 95% of the people using this, they don't, they don't even go there. They're just using the, the, you know, the basic features. And that's exactly what, you know, what is needed in my opinion. Um, I remember back in the day, about 20 years ago or so, um, I, uh, when I was just starting out with development, I designed and developed this little metronome, music metronome, because uh, I'm, I'm a musician. So I, I was doodling around with that. And it was super simple. And there were all these other ones out there who were complicated and had all these extra features. And this one was the simplest one of them all. And it's somehow latched on, you know, it still has a few hundred thousand users getting to that site a month, you know, who just want to practice with a metronome. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the lesson from very early on was, you know, simple is better, you know, in terms of how you, how you do things. And, um, it's always been kind of a motto, even even with creative, crazy websites. You know, there, there's some things that have to be simple. You have to be able to navigate easily. Like if you can't navigate the the website or or the application easily, then it's no good. And uh, you remember maybe back in the day where you had all those flash websites and things were like flying around. Yeah, I hated those. Yeah, you couldn't do anything because you didn't know like where to click mm -hmm. <laughs> or even worse things were moving around so you yeah. had to hunt them so those kinds of things you know when given the opportunity to to do more a lot of companies did that and i always gravitated okay let's be creative but the user experience part of it needs to needs to be simple and so you know going back to to um to ux research and testing and you know learning from people you know you you also want to learn about the very um, essential needs of the user. So let's say, you know, the goal of this project is to give them uh, something, give them like goal A to reach. Okay, so we wanna test whether they can get to their, get to their goal easily during the prototype. So if we built a simple prototype, that's what we are testing. We make sure that, you know, you can get there, you can get there easily, no frustrations. And if there are any pain points, where are they at which point during the process? So you can keep improving. You know, so, so that's kind of like a constant iteration, testing, QA, feedback, and it's like a, it's a cycle of development. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, you know, that's the fun part too. You keep, you keep building the product and exp expanding and growing the product. How do you um how do you develop a prototype in UIUX? Are you using like Figma or any yeah I mean in particular? We've, we've used you know Sketch and Envision, Figma, Adobe XD, uh, various tools. Is, is there one that you uh, like go to and use a lot of though? I'm sorry. What what's your go to tool set? It used to be Sketch and and uh, Envision. Um, then we switched over to XD for collaboration. And then we we are now between XD and Figma mostly. What um, I know Figma. I do not know XD. What is X? What is XD, XD is Adobe XD. Oh okay, yeah. yeah I it, only use like Photoshop on OD, uh, Adobe. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've recently learned how to do it, and it's it's really fun. I mean, look, Adobe is a legacy company, and you know, obviously, there's some software there that you know, the other software doesn't even come close to like Illustrator or Photoshop and things like that. Um, XD is good. Um, they started it a few years ago. They kind of got to it 
really slowly. You know, Sketch was already there, already took all the market, basically. And Adobe took their time, <laughs> you know, really took their time. But now it's that it's out, they are developing it regularly. Um, and, you know, some of our designers like it because it integrates well with Illustrator and Photoshop, obviously. So you can go between the three programs more easily than if you were to work with, let's say, Figma and Illustrator. Now for medical projects, that doesn't matter because you, you're not really going to Photoshop and Illustrator to do illustrations or do crazy things. But for more creative projects, you know, some of them that we still do, um, let's say an Illustrator XD and Photoshop combination would probably be easier to work with than having to switch to Figma. Makes sense. The, um, are there are there good books or, and, or online, what, sorry? No, 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 I was just gonna, go, go ahead, go ahead. No, no go ahead, I think, I think we clipped out for the connection. Were you uh, gonna say more? Uh, no, I, I was going to say that you, know, you can do prototypes directly in XD. You can do prototypes directly in Figma. And then, you know, th there's the, the handoff part to development that happens in other software like uh, uh, InVision or Avocode or, or Zeppelin. And, you know, we'll use those as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. For So I'm, I'm imagining either people who are, you know, uh, joining a startup or who have a startup or are just, you know, maybe you try, want to try something new. Uh, are there good articles or YouTube channels in particular that you point people at to kind of understand the basis so they can try doing a prototype themselves? Um, <laughs> yes, but I would have to look it up now. It doesn't, it doesn't come off, off the top of my head. Um, there is a resource. Are you welcome to look it up? It's all good. Yeah, can I? Yeah. All right, cool. So let me see. I mean, worst case scenario, if it like takes like five minutes, I'll just cut this section out. <laughs> I'll just cut the dead space. Uh, it, oh, okay, okay, okay. So give me a second. Creative. I, what was it? And so when you have the prototype kind of figment out, you just you'll walk a user through it and say and have them like kind of imagine it to give you the feedback or. Well. When you are we are we on on record here, or you're gonna cut it, or you want me to speak more? Oh, I, I was <laughs> I was trying to fill it so I wouldn't have to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's fill it. Um, all right, now um, when when we have a prototype, there's two ways to go about it. You can you can send it to people um, and just hope that they're gonna get it and explain certain things to them, or you can guide them. Um, I think. Probably you can get um, better uh, results by guiding them and um, and making sure that they you know they truly understand what you need them to do, and then by being there when they're actually using it to see where they get stuck because sometimes people will use the prototype, they'll get stuck, they'll eventually get through it, but they don't tell you about it later, mm. you know. So so observing. You know, when somebody's actually doing it, it's really, really good because you can see how, you know, how it's being used. And you can see those frustrations right there. Okay, somebody's trying to click in five different places to go to the next screen. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right there. Even if they need to click three times or two times, it should be like super clear where is the next, you know, the next step. And, you know, it's, 
let's say you use some interface next time, you know, you can, you can kind of start paying attention after a while to, you know what, this was really smooth, like so effortless to get me from point A to point Z. Or I had to like, why, where do I, you know, what is this? Where do I go? And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's where you can realize, even with your uh, like original Amazon website, I never found Amazon particularly uh, in it, like well designed, but they kept the same same thing and just changing a little bit over the course of time to improve to not change what people are used to already. But the initial the initial UI wasn't very intuitive, so you know. Um, looking at the screen and testing and making sure you see people and where they get stuck so that, you know, you can kind of eliminate those pain points. That's really where, you know, um, where it's worth spending the time on. Um, so let me see. I'm still looking this up. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think Figma has tutorials, but that's not as much fun if there's no, like no, an article. Not, or... You know what I'm looking for? There is a, I can't remember if it was an award site um oh like top uh, websites every year um there was a really good resource that just recently came out and um and it had really great courses on various things related to ux ui um design how to design creative sites how to go about building things motion graphics and so forth um let me see this is more on the creative end. Yes, this is it. So let me, it's, it, you would have to, what should I do? Paste the link here for you? Uh, yeah, and then say it out loud and then I'll add it to the show notes. All right, so it's awards.com forward slash academy. So yeah. awards is um, it, literally an award site for, for <laughs> a website project. So, but it's with three W's, A-W-W-W-A-R-D-S.com. And slash academies. So they have a they have a course section there um, where um, you know you can take for relatively cheap various courses related to to design and coding and creative aspects. There's um, there's a great site. Um, oh, they're they're pretty cheap too. I'm yeah, looking at yeah. It now, yeah. There's something even maybe even more useful for for people starting out. And for for people who are, have been doing it for a while, and it's called interaction-design.org. And uh, here you can take also sorts of courses, and they focus quite a bit on the UX. So you will get a lot of courses related to the psychology, user research methods, um, UX, mobile UX, UX anything really, um, and. You know, this this second uh, resource that I shared is more geared towards true user UX uh, design, where the awards one is more geared towards UI, I would say. Oh, wow. Okay, so, but, but you know, I really, really like the interaction design, um, you know, program and website, and uh, they have really great courses and very detailed too. Yeah, the um, interaction also, design isn't too expensive. It's like... 15 bucks a month and you can get yeah, all yeah. access to it. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. No, no. And not really, for education. I mean, for that kind of money, it's, it. you know, you're almost getting a college education yeah. kind of a thing that, of course, the difference is you have to, 
be the disciplined enough to go through the course, take the course, be involved in it enough to try some of those things. Because one thing is to talk about it and to, um, you know, to read through it. The other one is to actually implement some of those practices. And then you really understand, oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes you ask a question, you know, in research and you get all sorts of answers that you didn't mean to even ask for. So, you know, rephrasing questions and learning how to, how to go about research is, uh, you know, it takes some time. Um, but you know, these, these two resources, I would, I would uh, you know, I would like to single them out. Um, yeah, I'm going to check out interaction design and yeah. uh, well, I, I'm building something as well as like maybe some people listening now. And so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to check out one of the courses mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. if, no, if, they're great. If I build something that's great, I will credit you. <laughs> <laughs> and if not <laughs> if, it's, if it's not it's just because it's me it's my fault <laughs> okay <laughs> just checking <laughs> if it works out you know it's like uh the elon musk thing if it if everything works as the team did it if it messes up it's his fault i think that's yeah. fair <laughs> um all right sweet. so we have some uh resources uh then gen i guess from taking a step back and looking at uh kind of like a, a, a day in the life like what does your general like workflow look like like, so if, if someone's thinking, I like being creative, I like doing design, I like um, what I'm hearing so far, mm -hmm. what, you know, like just kind of like a slice of life, what's, what's it actually like when you're making yeah, sausage? I mean, look, for me, it's a little different because I own my, my design agency. So I wear a lot of different hats, um, you know, going from the business side and, and just managing the agency and, and, and then interacting with the clients and um you know leading that side of the conversation if if we're talking just about ux ui when you get to actually do some of the some of the creative work um you know the, the good thing is well i guess it depends is it a good thing if you like talking to people interacting with people a ux designer is a good is a good position because in in theory you should be developing and building for others. And that means that you should constantly be talking and exchanging uh, information and, and get, getting feedback from other people. So unlike a UI designer who, you know, who from a UX designer, you would get us already a predefined, let's say user flow, wireframes, this is what we need. This is kind of the, you know, the, the, the structure that we need and now make me something really pretty and interactive. Okay, so you can kind of go away and do that and not interact with people. But the true job of a UX designer is to learn from people and constantly go back and forth. And, um, and so, you, you know, enjoying working with people, you know, uh, is kind of, a, you know, a, not a requirement, but, you know, if you're going to like your job better if you like working with people. Yeah. And, um, and if you are a UX UI designer, that means you do both, right? So you will get to work with people and do the research, and then you will get to design it. So for me, you know, I, I like doing both personally, um, you know, because it gives me a chance to still feel uh, creative and and do some things that can be interactive in a creative way. Um, so I'll I'll try to give myself some pieces of the projects that let me do this still, mm -hmm. even though you know we have designers that can that can do this probably <laughs> better. <laughs> uh, but I, I try to keep up. So 
you know, uh, let's say, you know, if you if you're just starting out and and um, you know and and want to get into this industry, I I, I personally think it's a very gratifying uh, role um, because you you get to really build out the product, work with the people to learn from them, build for others, create something that's going to give value at the end of the day, and then help um, you know put that in 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 to you know how help actually build it design it okay then it goes to developers to you know build a functionality but you you have your you know imprint on on how it is it's kind of like an architect to house and you get to really work with people on designing or with a company or institution on designing this space so it's it's a lot of fun for me at least you know yeah Um, and and it's something that's i would say is a is a profession that's in need because there's a lot of digital things taking place and i don't think it's we're nowhere close to being uh done with it so as the you know the society is digitizing and all the companies are going even more digital um and improving you know how they do things you need ux ui designers and especially ux designers to really hone down that experience and make it good um, because there's still a lot of bad experiences out there, right? So yeah. there's a lot of room to improve how we do things. And um, it's, you know, the last year, you know, for better or worse, has sped up this um, this process by tenfold, you know, in terms of, oh, wow, we need to really get our stuff together because, you know, we, we need to be um, uh, competitive in the digital market. So, so COVID has really forced a lot of companies to start thinking about, okay, am I, you know, am I covered here? Am I, you know, doing what I need to do and to, you know, in a way pushed a lot of innovation because of necessity. So, you know, we, we're, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting 10 years, I think, in terms of, UX, UI, and what people can do. So it's a fun industry to get into. Of, of course, 10 years down the road, who knows how UI is going to look like. So, you know, e- even with, let's say, voice-activated controls and Internet of Things and all that, <laughs> you're not necessarily working with a screen anymore as much. So with Alexa or Siri, for example, it's a whole other experience. It's still UX. You know, it's, you're still doing UX. It's just your interface has changed. So maybe 10 years down the road, the role of the UI designer might look a little bit different. You know, if we deal with augmented reality more, um, you know, with, let's say, I don't know, glasses with AR embedded in it, that's going to be an interesting, um, you know, uh, an interesting field to build for. And then, um, you know, VR and all that stuff. So there's a lot more, uh, there's many different directions in terms of what kind of UI you're ultimately building. Yeah. So yeah, is, are there, um, I, I, I check out Beyonce, B-E-Y, Beyonce, Beyonce. Okay. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the, it's like they have like designs on it. I'm going to Google this one second. I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. B- you mean the singer, right? No, I'm saying I am saying the singer, Behance, Behance, 
Oh, Behance. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I heard Beyonce. I'm like, oh, oh. I was saying Beyonce. You're, you're uh, totally correct. <laughs> no, it's Behance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering are there uh, good websites that you use um, to see what's coming out, like say on the cutting edge? Um, I think awards is a good one hmm. in terms of just websites. Okay. There's a lot of creative, cool things there. Um, there's a great company here in LA dribble um, that does cutting edge stuff called active theory you can check them out they do a lot of um uh well odd things to say the least you know with with in like live tracking motion tracking um you know installations and stuff like that they're really really good mm. um Oops, you know in terms of websites it would be awards i think that that's that's really the place to go. Otherwise, you know, for cutting edge things um, that are outside of the, the website slash app. I don't know. I, re I really don't know because we don't we don't go there. Oh, no, no worries. We don't go there. Yeah. yeah go, it, go to what you know. So, yeah. You, you know, the thing is that there's so much um, out there in terms of what you can do. So in terms of robotics, building, you know, building tools that you can use um with with motion tracking motion graphics um so well you know we we don't really uh, it's cool stuff but our tool set is really being creative on the more traditional i guess ui and then you know because we want to go into medical um i want to stick to to the medical interfaces that are currently like you know in use now of course yeah. ar and, you know, remote uh, robotics and remote surgery and all that stuff is really, really cool. Uh, we just haven't gotten there yet. I think with AR, there's a lot of things in medical interfaces that could be really, really uh, beneficial. And, you know, that's something I would be interested in getting into, into the future, in the future. I think similarly to like creating fusions of different um, subjects, uh, i I believe that you use music as a form of inspiration or as a, a, a focus in your design. And I'm, and I'm just curious, like how, how does that work? Like uh, I'm, I'm on the violin. It does not sound good, but I, I, I enjoy it. So I'm oh. just curious, like how you're, uh, and for everyone, you can check out Spotify in the, in the show notes. I was listening to it uh, before the call and I accidentally made him wait a little bit because I was liking it so much. <laughs> so it's really good, but I'm just curious, like how does your music uh, impact your, your, uh, or you are uh, your work yeah okay well let me give you a little context first i mean music you know i, I I've, I've done music for a long time and my, my dad was a musician he was a guitar player and a teacher and i i started playing guitar and bass electric bass when i was a kid eventually switched to jazz and, and playing flute um in in college because i, I met um a flutist from a cuban flutist um who played charanga and Cuban music, Afro-Cuban music, Latin jazz. And I never heard an instrument sound like that. So I, was just, I went crazy and, and I started, you know, picked up this instrument, started playing it, eventually got my master's in music for, for Afro-Cuban music. And, you know, I, it's really kind of a passion of mine along with, with the digital. Um, and, um, you know, when, when you do music, it, it's a, it's kind of like your creative mind takes over, you know, the rest shuts down, so to speak, because it's a different mindset, right? You, 
you want to be in a space where you sort of lose control. And because I'm an improvising musician, I don't really play classical music. Losing control means you you use everything you've learned over the last, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years and still coming up with something that's new that you haven't done before based on what you on on all your experiences that you've had so you lose control so you're not inhibiting your your uh, ideas but you're still using your knowledge obviously right so so when you get in that frame of mind the, the most satisfying um you know outcome is you play a piece of music or you improvise a melody or rhythm or you the way you interact with uh, with other musicians on stage is you you create something new you create something you know different right so when you when you go to designing ux ui and designing digital interfaces it would translate to you get so much in the zone that what you've done before guides you but does not limit you right so so you try to come up with ideas that that are new and that can improve and build on what you've already done before. So, you know, I, I just like to be reminded of this, you know, um, this way of thinking when, you know, when working on anything really is that, yes, things are done well, you know, the way they are now, but there's always new things that we can do and grow and innovate and build. So, so for me, the music is really a, a mindset shift. Um, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a good thing. Sometimes it's not because you go too far out and then <laughs> you, know, you have to come back to a little more structured way because yes, you can't just create anything in a vacuum, right? You still have to create with the users in mind. So for, for digital interfaces and for the work that we do, you know, that's something that I always try to keep in mind. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing it for other people. So you have to keep checking. Is this, you know, aspect that you're building on track with who you're building it for and what they need to do? So it's called, uh, you know, in UX, it's called a user persona. So after we do all that research that we do, we'll build up, we'll build one, two, three, really three user personas, you know, but one is, the, there's one main one. And what user persona means is, you know, let's say it's Jack Smith or or Sandy Clark or whatever. You actually give them a name and you, you know, you say, okay, they're 30 years old. They live in this city. They like this kind of music. They drive this kind of car or a bike or whatever. And, um, you know, these are the brands that they like. This is, you know, this is what the activities they like, hobbies they like. So you... When you're building something, you're constantly having in your mind, hey, what would what, what, uh, Sandy or, or Jack like this? You know, would they be thrilled to use it? Would they, would they, it, would it be easy for them to use? So unlike with music where you get to be creative and do whatever the heck you want because, you know, it's an artistic expression, um, with the UI, you have to constantly go back to who you're doing it for, to really build something that's worth building. Um, but the inspiration that comes from music, I think is, is, you know, is cool because it keeps reminding you we can do more and we can always be fresh. 
you know, I, I never like to um, stay still, you know, with, with tech, especially if you try to do things one way for too long, you fall behind. I mean, especially the last couple of years or so, you know, everything is changing in terms of frameworks, in terms of how you work, how you connect platforms, how, how things are, you know, work together and so forth. So the learning aspect and the changing aspect and the improvisation is, is constantly there. So, you know, with the music that I play, which is either jazz or, or some kind of improvised music, you make up things, you know, all the time. So, and being able to adapt is a part of the game. So let's say you're, you're on stage and you're playing a concert with three other people and somebody decides to play something different, right? I don't know how familiar you are with jazz or, you know, with that kind of music. I think I know, but... I think I know the basics of it. It's kind of like, yeah. um, it's, it's like some elements of it is like, you could be playing in a thing and when you change it, it, it's like up to me to like harmonize or find a way to make it work. Like we all kind of right, like right. we're maybe harmonizing. It might be the word or it might not be the word. Like you can kind of like disharmonize <laughs> to like, okay. Um, so it's like, uh, it's like, it's like a dance with music. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you know, and, and it varies in different kinds of jazz, different kinds of music. Right. But if somebody this, you know, let's say pl starts playing a slightly different rhythm or instead of playing it on a, a certain part of the drum set changes it around, it will affect how everything sounds like. So it's up to you then to really react to that and, and adapt, right? So this, you're constantly adapting to what's going on around you and what, how other people are playing, maybe how the audience is responding. If they're all falling asleep, then you might want to change something mm -hmm. or not, depending on what's the intent of the music. Is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the idea is that music is constantly adapting and changing, and so is the technology. So, so when, you know, when I think of the, the projects that we build, I think them, um, you know, as evolving, constantly changing, constantly adapting projects that, you, you know, they need to be there if they want to remain good, and be good, and, and continue to serve people. And you see this, I mean, with... with um, you know, the, the good interfaces, the good companies that, you know, like big brands that are out there, they constantly modify gently because they have a large user base that's already used to certain things. So they have to shift a little more carefully, but they are evolving because otherwise they fall behind. So that's, that's the, you know, the learning from, for me, from music and the kind of the, the mindset that I, that I like to remind myself of when when we are you know thinking about tech and how we go about doing things makes sense and i think you're in good company in terms of wanting to play some music it um einstein uh a little known fact is he actually was really good at playing the violin and sometimes when you get stuck he would actually play the violin to kind of like yeah you know he just like he distract himself be really creative and he'd come back and like the creativity of problem solving you know people yeah. think math or most people think that creativity is anthem to analysis when in a reality you have to be creative to figure something out um right, right. it's like that's i mean that's just what human is um so i feel like you're you're in good company in terms of like using uh music as a form of expression to like figure things out i wouldn't compare myself to einstein really, but... <laughs> well, I, I did it for okay. you I did, I, I, I did it for you so it works out i mean einstein yeah. was uh so good that he would just walk he would walk on to uh philharmonics just sit down he could play he would just he oh, could wow. walk in any place and be that good. 
But um, yeah, so the last few questions I have are, um, and I added one because I think there's a, a movie I'd recommend to you, which is called Whiplash. I feel like you'd like that movie. I don't know if you have seen <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I saw, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little extreme, you know, jazz musicians say we don't, we don't think of jazz like that, like burning, mm. bleeding hands, you know, to be able to play the instrument. But yeah. it was an interesting movie, you know. I guess, yeah, it does require, you know, you have to really have persistence and patience and a lot of grit to do music, yeah. you know, professionally. I I do it semi-professionally. I mean, I do concerts that I like and then that I get and that, you know, are a fit. Obviously, I do something else to make a living. But I have a lot of professional musician friends, you know, and it's, you know, it takes a lot to be able to go through what musicians go through on a daily basis, including the lack of appreciation for what musicians do. So, for example, you know, you're a PhD educated musician who spent, you know, six hours a day practicing for the last 40 years and can perform this beautiful concerto or play jazz. And you go on stage and you get paid, I don't know, like some some crazy little money, especially, you know, jazz musicians, right? Mm -hmm. And you would think that society would appreciate them more. And yet, with all of this, they keep doing it. You know, they keep going through it. And because of the love of music and art. And, you know, when I think of whiplash, it's you know, like, yeah, you have to bleed <laughs> to to make this happen. Like, okay, a little extreme in how they portrayed it, but it was a fun movie. It was a fun movie to watch. <laughs> there was, um, uh, and now I would love to hear your movie recommendations or book recommendations for people, but um, it could be you anyway, but uh, there's a story of uh, a person playing the cello uh, on a subway. And there was like a little girl who's really excited about it. Like just wanted to sit there and listen, but the mom was like, you know, leave the homeless man alone basically and dragged her away. Yeah. And uh, that turned out to be Yo-Yo Ma, and he was just doing it for fun. And then he walked off the train in a station, went on to a fully packed theater where people were paying thousands of dollars to be there. And I think that's just really interesting how, like... Uh, I know, I know. It was, they yeah. did Joshua Bell, right? And, and Yo-Yo Ma. And this was... Yeah, yeah. yeah, the, the I, of them. yeah. I think, yeah, I think there's, like, a... There's a, a, a art and a skill to just, like, staying present and appreciating mm -hmm. things. Um, yeah. no matter where it is. And I think uh, stories like that help you see that. Um, yeah, and, and you know, going back, to, going back to Einstein, <laughs> you know, the, you know when, you, when you mentioned, you know, he, he played violin to kind of get back to being present in a way. It's, it's a form of meditation too. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you play an instrument, in, you know, the, the, when you're, if you're doing it, if you're really doing it, this is all you are doing right now at that moment. So it's fully being present, fully being engaged, and it's kind of connecting to to everything else, right? So you're when you get back to then doing other things or trying to be creative in another aspect, you're, you're in the zone. Um, so so I think um, you know that's that's kind of important to me too. And I do that sometimes. I'm not comparing myself by any means, but I will do that. Yeah. You know, if I'm, you know, and it's a form of meditation. I can't sit still, but I can play music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, so, as long as you get it somewhere, right? Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah exactly. so, so the question is, <laughs> what books or movies do you recommend for people to check out? Um, well, you know, you mentioned Whiplash. I, I, 
you know, it would be an interesting thing, I think, for people to see. There is a good documentary on Bill Evans. I think it's called Bill Evans. <laughs> That's easy. And there's a good documentary on Miles Davis. Mm. And I think it's called Miles Davis or something like that. Oh, I think both of them well are on Netflix. Or, um, what's the one with Miles? It's a new one um, that came out like a year ago or so. And it's interesting to see because it deals with some of the, you know, you can actually see what the life of a musician looks like and what hardships they went through, especially with Miles, you know, and racism and everything that, that was going on in, in his life. And, and then you see, you know, some of that genius behind these people who, who were, you know, who were able to give so much um, in terms of music to the society. Because, you know, when you, when you think of, of, of them as musicians, I, I like to think of, you know, and myself included, you know, I, I don't see music as something that I take. You know, I see it as something that I give. So, you know, when I look at them, it's like, wow, how much did they give to all of us mm -hmm. and that we don't even know yet? And so you look at these movies and, and they're very inspirational. Um, I think those two are really, really good to check out. Awesome. I'm definitely uh, going to. I, I, I've been trying to get more documentaries in me. So, uh, I, and I know very little about jazz. So it sounds like a, a good yeah. place to start. And what was that movie? I remember telling you about it. It was interesting because you're into bees. Um, do you remember the, the one that... Uh, I, I remember us talking about it. I don't remember the name of yeah, it. I don't remember the if name just, of the movie now. Uh, it'll um, come to me like five minutes from now. Like when we're like, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Same here. Um, um, so then uh, what, what is a problem you were having that you love people's help with? It can well, be anything. I think I'm at the stage. Well, I have a lot of problems, but, <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I'm at the point where I think I would like to help more than, than asking for help. Of course. Um, when what I mean by that is that, um, you know, we, you know, I'm trying to see, like, how can I use the work that I do to to give to people through healthcare projects? Of course, we're, you know, we are able to do them because they make sense financially and so forth. But, you know, there's a path that you can choose that makes sense financially and gives value. And this is what I want to do. So now on that same level of healthcare, you know, I've, I've been starting to talk to people and seeing how much value I get just from being able to, you know, share what I know and perhaps contribute to somebody else's project, you know, just, just for the sake of helping. So, you know, I like doing that. Now, what can other uh, people help me? I guess it's the same thing. You know, if, you know, I, I feel like learn, um, something from everybody that I talk to that, that has a similar passion or mission, just like yourself or the group that we've, you know, talked with, you know, you know, I, I feel like I gain a lot from it. So just being a part of it for me is enough in terms of, you know, getting help because really you, you're connecting with like-minded individuals who, who share a passion and, you know, it reinforces the idea that the direction I'm going is the direction that I want to be in and it has value. So there's nothing specific, but 
you know being a part of a community i guess that's that's you know has the same goal is really what i you know what i would like to be and in, uh, involved in and haven't that much involved in in the past so if anyone listening is a part of a community group uh online meetup uh even if it's just a regional one i'm sure you know eventually you'll be traveling yeah. um reach out and let let them know because mm-hmm. it's a simple thing but you know we're all want to come together all right. So then the last question I have for you is a question question. What is right. a question that you have that is unanswered? Like you, you don't have the answer for it. The, to give you some time to think, uh, a question I've been wondering. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Fermi paradox or like the Fermi equation, I think is what it's called, mm-hmm. where it's like, it basically says that like, there should be lots of life out in the universe. And mm-hmm. uh, I've been wondering like, what would be the inverse of that? Like what would, what would equation look like where we were the only ones to pop out? You know, like, like the math works out, like there should be tons and tons and tons, but like if the universe is infinite and there's so much stuff out there, what would the equation look like and how horrific would it be if the only sentient life like us was us, you know, <laughs> like, that's my question, but it doesn't have to be like that. It could be like, what do Buffalo's think about, it? but what's yeah, the question? What's the, pro- that- what's the probability of that even? Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, what would be, like, what's the, yeah. you know, what's the, what's the probability? What's the equation? And I want to see it. But uh, so if anyone mathematicians out there, please contact me because this does actually matter. <laughs> but like, so <laughs> what is the question? And it can be something you think about. It could be something you come back to that you just don't have the answer to that you, you can ponder it. You Maybe someone listening can help you with. Yeah. Um, that's a deep one. You know, now, now you're making me think um, of some something like really, really grand. It can be small. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I guess going into a a near future, you know, I wonder how, how human civilization is going to look like in, let's say a thousand years, you know, where are we going to be? Because I'm not so sure that we're going to be here anymore. And, um, and let's say a thousand years from now, how will that actually transpire and i and you know because we, we all watched star wars when we were kids you know the only <laughs> you know that's kind of like your concept but it might not look exactly like that right so you know how how will human life and human civilization look like a hundred or five hundred or a thousand years from now and i have a you know the neighborhood where i live um actually has quite a few nasa scientists and a good friend of mine works at nasa so some of the things that they work on are absolutely fascinating to me, um, you know, such as a space shield, you know, shielding from, from space radiation um, or even some antimatter, matter, you know, propulsion and stuff like that. I mean, it's just crazy things that we, humanity hasn't thought of yet, but ultimately leads to the to the question as like where are we going to move out, move as a civilization so I, obviously there's no no answer to that question your question is <laughs> more solvable <laughs> i guess uh than this one but well, you're that's just something i've been thinking about hmm? you're just solvable with time yeah yeah, yeah but not for me but <laughs> you can discover I mean, time travel or something yeah yeah exactly i mean who knows, right? I, I mean, I'm just fascinated by by space to some degree, you know. And um, um, at some point, I I, I um, 
I, I was thinking about a degree in physics as well. And so, so th this has fascinated me for, for a while to, to, um, to really explore the paradigms that, you know, in our ways of thinking, the limited ways of thinking that we have even right now, you know, and how we interpret the universe in our life and in the universe. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I'd like to know what some of the, some of the theories and some, I guess, what, what other people think. Um, I clearly see us um, having to, to move beyond Earth uh, in some not-so-distant, perhaps, future, depending on what happens here. Sweet. So, I will yeah. stop, stop the recording. I also have another question. Oh, okay, okay. I won't stop the recording. One more. One more. This goes back to, back to high school. <laughs> and bumblebees, because bumblebees, from what I remember... Um, we're supposedly tech, uh, on the level of physics are not, shouldn't be able to fly. Yeah, they're weird. Because of the, the size of their wings and the, the frequency of the, of the motion, like technically and their weight, right? They shouldn't be able to fly, but they do. And I was going to do some kind of experiment to measure that uh, and never ended up doing it. So if anybody really knows some, something, you know, more on that, that would be kind of cool. All right. And, it's, it's always really good to like say a really bad theory for it because that usually galvanizes the person with the answer to write in. So my theory is that it's a combination of their little wings, their their body, and then they basically glide. They use the wind. Like you ever yeah. notice they kind of like go with the wind a little bit. So their their wings are almost like gliders too. And right, right. then uh, space aliens come down and like poke them with, uh, you know, telekinesis. So like whoever actually has the answer should write us in. Or else that's what we're going with. Yeah. No, no it's, gliding it's space aliens. I think I think gliding might have to do with it actually. Now that I think of it, because that even um, I'm not sure which birds is pelicans or albatrosses that they're studying right now, because they fly in, in a certain formation. Um, but the aerodynamics, the the way the wind, um, you know, goes from one to another, lets the birds glide and use far less energy. So they're thinking of flying commercial aircraft information like that military aircraft in specific formation to conserve fuel so you know maybe maybe that i don't know maybe that has something to do with it but it's a i think it's a good guess so we'll see we'll see uh, what the truth the is the person with the real answer who ideas should write in all right cool and that was damian uh thanks everyone for tuning in we've got to cover a wide variety of uh, topics like how to get into uaux in terms of healthcare you know what drives them how he uses music uh you know einstein as you heard books all those things check the show notes share like comment subscribe all those things we can't do it without you listeners helping out if you like this send me a message if you hate it send me a message if you listen in let me know you know, it's great to have feedback. Damian seeks it and what he's building, I seek it and what we're building here. So hope everyone has a great day. And remember to check out the website, learnwithhold.com and look at the show notes for links to stuff we talked about. Thank you.